Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we're reviewing one of Sam's picks. So, Tim, Sam, tell us what you picked. So, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about Blade Runner, directed by Ridley Scott, released in the summer of 1982. The first time. Um, the first time, yes, yeah, the first time. <laughs> um, you know, Start, starting a really interesting cast, you know, Harrison Ford at the height of his uh, action star, um, I guess, life in terms of movies. Um, he wasn't the president yet. That's right, wasn't president yet. Um, yeah, the, I was picturing late... get off my plane, as you were saying, yeah, the yeah, height of his yeah. powers. <laughs> uh, you know, Rucker Howard, uh, Sean Young. I always forget about Daryl Hannah being in this movie, but... Uh, you know, but yep, Daryl Hannah. Um, and, and you all laughed when I previewed this, and I said, even Edward James Olmos, because I feel like every 80s movie had Edward James Olmos in it. So, <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, I'm really interested in getting into this, uh, depending on what version of the movie that we each watched. But uh, I think before we do that, fellas, we, we have some other business to take care of first, right? Let's keep it 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. All right, Sammy, you get to go first. What is your keep it 100? <laughs> okay, so for my keep it 100 this week, I'm going back to the Disney Plus well. Uh, and this time I chose the Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian. Uh, this is an eight-part series that focuses on the making of the show. A uh, lot of roundtable discussions with cast, directors, the production team, lots of behind-the-scenes and on-set footage. Um, I was really amazed at just the level of technical innovation that went into that television show. Um, basically, with the exception of a few set props, every background was at was part of a 20-foot-high, 270-degree projection screen using gaming engine technology. Uh, they called it the volume, uh, and it was amazing to look at. Uh, the cast and crew, I think, have such an appreciation for Star Wars and what they really brought into this movie. Not movie, but television show is great. Uh, so if you're a Star Wars fan or just a fan of the movie-making process, I would definitely check out the Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian. And that's my Keep It In 100. Oh, not bad. Dwayne, what do you got, man? Well, I'm going uh, away from the Disney brand this week, but I'm sticking with animation. Uh, 2015, a little movie came out with um, Jim Parsons of Big Bang Theory, uh, Rihanna of Singing Fame, and Mr. Banjo himself, Steve Martin, one wild and crazy guy, in the movie <laughs> Home. Um, with this, this movie is just a ton of fun. It's so bright and colorful. It's so, uh, I guess, you know, it's an animated movie, but the characters are just so animated and so alive and vibrant. You know, it's a story about the alien invasion of Earth. You take all of the humans up in bubbles, move them to Australia. Uh, they take over the rest of the planet, but they have no idea what's going on, how things work. So, uh, there's one little guy, his name is O, 
and uh, he has all of the misadventures that you would expect. He he comes across a human girl trying to find her mother, and uh, adventure, hilarity, and heartwarmingness ensue. 2015's Home. That one uh, never hit my radar. I, I I can't even picture a preview of that movie. Is Rihanna better in this movie than she was in Valerian? Uh, much, <laughs> much, much better. Yeah, uh, much, much better. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Check it out. It's it's worth a watch. It's worth a watch. It's so bright and colorful. I'm surprised uh, that your youngest hasn't got it on her radar. It's so pink and purple and colorful. Hmm. All right. So, so, so it sounds like a, a, a fun kid version of Mars Attacks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that's not fun. That's, that's not How have we not reviewed that? Right. Anyway, I'm, I'm going last here, and I've got my timer ready. Here we go. Uh, so Blade Runner was written by Philip K. Dick and I've read a lot of Philip K. Dick and that kind of got me back in that sort of time frame of sci-fi, sci-fi authors. It got me thinking. And of that era, I love Philip K. Dick. I do, but he's not my favorite. Uh, Richard Matheson is my favorite. And so I'm pitching, um, tonight. I am legend and other stories and I am legend is, um, it's been adapted a couple of times now. Uh, <laughs> my favorite is the Will Smith version. Um, but the, I love that story. I love it. It's got, it's very different than the movie in most respects. Um, but he's just such a good short story writer. And um, I don't want to spoil any of the plots because if you describe some of these stories that are so short, I mean, you've, I mean, you've just told the short story, you've ruined it. Uh, <laughs> But but sci-fi writing back then was just it was different, it had a different feel, different vibe to it. And Matheson always brought like a a creepy, slightly creepy vibe to everything. Like he was as much a horror writer as he was a sci-fi writer. And with that era, it had a different feel to it than modern sci-fi writing does. And so I'm recommending getting in the time warp, doing the time warp again, um, <laughs> checking out. I am legend in other stories. And if you can find the audiobook read by Scott Brick. Uh, he does creepy reading very well. So that's my keeping 100. I am legend in other stories. Sweet. Well, that sounds like a great recommendation uh, as you do the time work back to there. So let's take a step <laughs> to the left and a hop to the right back to our review this week of Blade Runner. Uh, what's our opening thoughts and grades, gentlemen? Oh, I go first, don't I? <laughs> yes. Just look down, I go first. Wow. This this is not a place I want to be on this movie. I have lots of thoughts. I have lots of thoughts, lots of feelings on this movie. Uh, 1982 Harrison Ford, I mean, nobody's a bigger fan. Um, the, the sci-fi, the dirty future, I love it. This movie puts down so many questions. What does it mean to be human? What makes us human? What are our aspirations and dreams? Does this movie reach them? Does this movie reach its aspirations and dreams? I don't know. I don't know. There's lots of lots of things we're going to get into, I feel, tonight. But I'm giving this movie a solid A. I'm going to be less nuanced. Uh, I love this movie. Just period. Uh, it's, a great, it's a great flick. It's thought-provoking. But also... Um, it's it's a slower paced movie than most sci-fi action movies w- that are today, but I never get bored. I, I mean, I think there's always interesting things happening on the screen, but it's also they've, they've got you thinking. 
Um, and so you don't, you're, you're not just checked out. So even as like Harrison Ford is doing his investigation stuff, he's zooming in on old pictures or whatever, you're still thinking. So that could be a very boring scene, but it's not because of the way they've got your brain engaged. Um, it's a beautiful movie. Um, <laughs> as much as that much grime and filth can be beautiful. <laughs> it's fantastic to look at. Um, performances are great. Um, this is an A-plus movie, especially the final cut. I watched the final cut for the first time for this review. That is, hands down, in my opinion, the best cut of this movie. It's the only time I'm not, I, I don't see any scenes, and it feels like a unitary whole. With every other cut, I'm always wondering, like, okay, what did Ridley Scott do? Like, wh- where did the, you know, the studio get involved and mess things up? You know, yeah. where were the, the scenes that he didn't film? Like, I don't feel any of that with the final cut. It feels like a seamless whole. And so, A-plus on the final cut. All right. Uh, well, you know, for me, Blade Runner was one of those movies I didn't watch to probably in my later teens. Uh, I'd been a Harrison Ford fan, obviously, between Han Solo and Indy. Uh, and I went through this thing that I started watching a lot of his other movies. Um, and I think looking at the movie now especially – I'm starting to see the influences it pulls from the past as well as things that it has influenced since. Mm -hmm. So I think this movie, you've got a lot of themes and concepts from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein rolled into a 30s detective noir stuck in the middle of an anachronistic dystopian future. You know, so, I mean, obviously, you know, both Ridley Scott somewhat looking at Philip K. Dick's book uh, and kind of trying to bring that to the screen. But I think also without a movie like this, you're not going to get the fifth element. You're not going to get even shades of this type of thing you see in the Star Trek Picard series that just recently came out. There's even little bits of that that I think come into play here. So with all that said, I think I would definitely give the movie an A. I'd go solid A myself. Um, now, I, w- I, w- I want to add, um, if we were watching the theatrical release, I wouldn't have given it an A+. Plus. Um, that's probably a B plus. They made a lot of mistakes. Uh, once the studio took the movie yeah. away from Ridley Scott, they made some very air- big clearing mm-hmm. errors. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I want to mention, too, is, you know, we did not all watch the same cut of this movie. You know, I watched the director's cut, which Ridley Scott apparently had nothing to do with. <laughs> Jamie watched the, the, the final cut. Um, I'm not sure exactly which version Sam watched. I had uh, the final cut also. The final so. cut also. Okay, so I'm the oddball yeah. out here watching uh, that one. But, you know, there was so much um, about this that, that I thought was weird. You know, really, Scott not reading the novel. You know, not, not reading the book. You know, kind of loosely basing it on it. You know, making a, a few changes here and there. Um, even, you know, some character changes. Uh, all of the changes that the studio made, the stuff that he went back and fought for. It's a very, very interesting production story. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a book out there describing all of that that I, I want to read. <laughs> I'd love to read all of the story of, of making a play running. All right, well, we've got the grades out of the way, and I was the only one of us that was right. Um, let's all go be pharaohs by the Nile and wave our fans around at each other. Trying, trying something different. <laughs> I'm digging it. I'm digging it. <laughs> All right, I have the privilege of going first, and um, I'm going. I guess kind of obvious. Um, the performances. 
Uh, I feel like Ridley Scott got the best out of every single person in this movie, but I, I want to highlight three of them. Um, Rutger Howard. He's amazing in this movie. If you saw this movie, this was the first time you had seen Rutger Hauer, you would have expected him to have this amazing, illustrious career. And he's basically spent the last, what, three decades floundering around. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of sci-fi B-movies. I mean, he, he appears in, a, in, in, like, in small roles in bigger movies. He was in, you know, some Batman movies, whatever. But, I mean, not in a big role. I mean, I, yeah, I mean right. if, you just, if you just see this movie, you think, Batman's a star. I mean, he's going to take over Hollywood. And that's not what happens. Daryl Hannah can't act. She just can't. She's good in this movie. <laughs> I, I avoid movies. I, one of my favorite movies of all time is Grumpy Old Men. She's in that movie for some reason. She's terrible in it. She's good in, in this movie. She's not awesome, but she's good in this movie. Uh, I mean, and Harrison Ford, I mean, he's pretty much always just Harrison Ford, right? He shows up on, on set. He says things in his grumpy fashion. He's always the same guy, except in this movie. We're getting a different gear that, I, you know, he doesn't, you know, click into very often. It's Harrison uh, Ford drunk. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but there's not, there's not a lot of those, like, I'm charming Harrison Ford moments. You know, there's not a lot of those like, special leading man type scenes. Um, this... <laughs> It's most of this movie murdering people and seducing confused ladies. I mean, <laughs> this is not his normal type of role. And he absolutely, it, from, in my opinion, it's his best performance. Uh, and R- Ridley Scott, absolutely. Maybe he doesn't read novels, but he gets the best out of his actors. And so there that's my go. fan. That's what a director's for. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> he read the screenplay. It's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> It was adapted. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Same here, mixed. All right. Um, You know, Jamie, you talked about how beautiful this movie was, even though it's gritty and grimy and nasty. uh, That's my biggest fan. Is I love the level of design that this movie has. I think the visual details are stunning. The textures, the sights, the sounds. Sometimes I think could be really overwhelming, but. I think it creates this this concept of world building in the movie. Uh, even just model work. I mean, the the, the Terrell building and the the amount of detail just on that building alone is gorgeous. All and right, the characters on the uh, streets. Yeah, I mean, and then you couple that with the like I said, the crowded streets and the neon advertisements and the rain. You know, it's and just almost it. Yes, I mean, all of this. But then there's also these different layers of technology. So you've got the Nexus 6, who is this this amazing replicant. But then you look at the Voight-Kampf machine that looks like it's been cobbled together from pieces. You know, I mean, it's got an accordion piece on it. You know, I mean, but, but it all just works. The design works. And it's just, I think, amazing to look at. So that's my biggest fan, I think. Yeah, this is definitely a beautiful movie. Definitely a well-acted movie. But uh, the biggest thing I'm a fan of in this movie is the question that it asks. And I, and I asked it at the beginning of my opening thoughts, you know, what does it mean to be a human? What does it mean to be sentient and have a choice, to have rights, to have, you know, your own self-volition? 
um, you know, I think it also puts down a very interesting question as who is the replicants? You know, who's truly the replicants here? You know, of course we're looking at Roy and Leon, um, you know, Pris. But, I mean, I've, I've got my suspicions about Decker. I, I think that's very am, <laughs> ambiguous, you know, through here. And, you know, what is, is, is Edward James almost, is he the Blade Runner, leaving his little origami clues around? <laughs> uh, you know, it really blows my mind, you know, of the level of, you know, well, let's put, let's give them memories. And then you see the obsessions with pictures and the obsessions with music and, and these little ancillary things that the replicants have. And then you look around Harrison Ford's apartment and they're there. Mm-hmm. Now, so that, that just deepens that question for me. Uh, the dreams uh, that he's having and stuff. Uh, this movie just gets my brain cranking, you know, like I said, it's a beautiful movie. It's, it's, you know, a, a powerhouse. You have career defining performances in here, but this movie turns my brain on and says, what are you doing here? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to make a quick recommendation or an extra key to get 100 just for you, Dwayne. Okay. Uh, uh, when the final cut came out, the Directors Guild of America has their own podcast, and they did an interview with Ridley Scott, and he answers all of your questions. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm, okay. There's an interest, if you want to know, I'll just tell you at the end of the podcast. Um, I was going to say, I don't, I'm not sure I want to know, because okay. this is one of those, this is one of the movies, I have movies on my shelf, you know, for the kids. I have movies on my shelf for the wife. I have movies on the shelf just for me that I enjoy. I have a, a, a few movies that are there, you know, this movie, like you said, it's the slow drudge through sci-fi, but it's so worth it because it it opens your mind. It makes you think. You know, there's there's a few movies that I have on there that's just like, okay, let's let's spend some time in thought here. You know, this isn't a casual watch. This isn't a passive watch. You have to actively engage this thing. Well, if, if you want the definitive answer, it's out there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think I think I may look into that. Uh, before do do we have any more fans? Uh, anything else you guys would like to bring to light? I was going first. I didn't make three this time. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> let's go to Decker's kitchen. Probably get a pan out of the dirty sink. Clean it before we use it, and see if we can find some pans for this movie. Not eating anything out of Dicker's kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love that he offers her a drink and he has to go wash the glass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I don't know if I'd even want a, a pan from the street vendor. I'll be honest. But, you know, <laughs> there's nothing clean in that way anymore. No, no. So, All right, Sam, you're first. What's your pan? All right. Uh, you know, and I think you guys have alluded to probably what my biggest pan is, and that is the pacing. It does, it's one of those movies, it's similar to what we talked about with Inception, and Dwayne's exactly right. This isn't a casual watch. This isn't a comfort food watch. This is one of those movies that you've got to really follow and, and kind of see all of the threads, 
And, and I think sometimes, you know, it, it feels like it's constantly trying to build to something. You know, I feel like the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. You know, but but sometimes I don't know if it truly gets to the the top of the hill. You know, in in terms of of resolution. And it, it maybe it's meant to do that. It's meant to be left open for us to think about. Uh, but that's just kind of the way I look at it. So I think my my biggest pain can be the pacing in certain areas that I think really make this a drudge at sometimes. So I love the movie, but it's, it's a tough watch. Sometimes you got to be in the right frame of mind. See that that's the opposite side of the ledger for me, man. I love uh-huh. moody slow burn. I mean, it <laughs> absolutely works for me. It, it, it has its place. It really does. And there are moods for that. But Sam, just like a, you know, the little engine that, that, that could you, you think you can, you think you can, but do you think therefore you am? <laughs> as, as Chris said um, at one point. <laughs> anyway. Oh. Well, my pen isn't a really big one. Uh, you know, the, the pacing uh, in this movie, because of what it is, kind of, you know, eased that for me. It, it just kind of is what it is. It's that slow sci-fi burn. But I, I, I recently watched uh, the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek uh, again this week as a rewatch. And uh, as I was watching this movie, um, we had a lot of light effects, a lot of glare and lens flares. Yeah, you had a lot of that stuff. And it just kind of, I, I don't know, I guess it kind of took me out of it a little bit because I've seen JJ stuff, you know, and I'd watch, you know, Star Wars, uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker with my son and yours, you know, there you had some lens flares in there. And I, I guess I was just lens flared out this week. <laughs> and so those just really pulled me out of the movie uh, a, a bit. But, you know, it, it's, it's gorgeously filmed. Uh, so moody and and dark and and the light you know was such a contrast is there but yeah I just found myself thinking but this is one of JJ's favorite movies <laughs> <laughs> so you know that's that's just going to be a little nit I'm picking this week <laughs> well I, I've got a nit I'll pick later with one of the awards but uh so for my my pen is one that um it might just be a 2018 thing or it could maybe in snooty again i'm not sure but it's the uncomfortable scene with rachel um and i i get what's going on there you know rachel has realized that um she's a replicant and she's questioning everything she's questioning questioning her humanity um her own free will i think that's really what she's struggling with by the time she gets to deckard's apartment um and she's she's beginning to doubt what she's ever made a real decision in her life and so despite the feelings she has for Deckard, and they're clearly mutual, like they have feelings for each other, she doesn't want to act on them because she's afraid they've just been programmed into her. So that's why that thing goes down the way it does. Um, he's forcing her to make a decision because she, remember she starts off repeating things back to him. But by the end mm-hmm. of that scene, she's saying things of her own. She's made a decision. He's forced her to a place where she had to make a decision. Uh, but man, is it uncomfortable. It's, uncomfortable, yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> real yeah. uncomfortable. And... And for some people, it would make it hard for me to recommend them to. Um, there are people that struggle with those kinds of scenes. Um, maybe the, because of past experiences or whatever. There are people that I could not recommend this movie to because of that. And there had right. to be another way to put Rachel in a position to make a decision uh, other than that. And so I just that, that's a pain. It, there, there had to be another way. And it just leaves it this weird, uncomfortable moment in the movie. So that's my pain. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. Oh, that's, totally. that's definitely a strange, uh, odd part. Yeah, definitely tough. Watch. Um, I get, I get that that moment needed to happen. It just could have been in a different context. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, right. it could have happened differently. Yeah, yeah, because like you said, you you could you know very easily trigger you know lots of things. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, definitely. and she was she was shutting down. I mean, Rachel. By the time she gets to that point in the movie, she's shutting down. Mm-hmm. She's you know, I mean, does, she's still grappling with what it means for her to be a replicant. You know. Um, Man, I hate that scene so much. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, in, let's not shut down. Let's go ahead and pull the trigger and give some awards to this thing. Graphically novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers fugit to discuss classic and not so classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. <laughs> All right, best performance, Blaine. You get to give the right answer. Uh, I believe I am going to give the right answer. Um, you have so many strong performances in this thing from so many great people. Edward James almost is menacing, subdued. You know, Daryl Hannah's kooky weirdness. You know. But I think the exact right answer. I think a career-defining performance, uh, Jamie, as you were saying earlier, is Rutger Hauer as Roy Batty. You know, like you said, if you see him in this movie, you think, man, this guy's got some rage. He's got some depth and, and so much inner turmoil you see in those beautiful blue eyes. You know, those those Scandinavian, Northern European <laughs> chiseled features and, and, and snow-white hair. You know, on his on his menacing militaristic bodybuilder's frame, and he just owns the scenes he's in. He you know menaces Harrison Ford. He menaces the the, the eye doctor. Uh, you know, he he goes to meet his maker, and you you've, you're broken for him. And yeah, Rutger Hauer, he he really pulled it out of the park for this one. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you, and I'm just going to add a little bit. Um, part of what makes this such an amazing performance, in addition, is basically there was no Roy Batty on the page of the screenplay. Um, the dialogue was all bad or just minimal. Um, there was no characterization. He was just a big, you know, he was the big soldier guy of the replicants. Um, most of the dialogue that Roy Batty says in this movie is all Rutger Hauer. The, right. monologue, the monologue on the roof at the end. Uh, like tears and rain, that was all Rutger Hauer. Wow! Uh, wow! Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so that I think I think that makes that performance like a, a whole nother level up because it's knowing, all him. Yeah, knowing that even more, you know, it's it's so weighty, and you know, he is really you know not only the leader, he's almost the heart and glue of their little group. Like even a lot of the interesting decisions, like the strange things that he does, like when he strips down and chases Harrison Ford his underwear for some reason, <laughs> and the howling. I mean, apparently that was all Rutger Howard. That was not in the screenplay. Wow. So everything that made Roy Batty Roy Batty is it's all Rutger Howard. It's it's kind of mind blowing. Well, that is mind blowing. I love that even more now. Wow, definitely. Uh, Sammy, yeah. did you have anything, Any, or did you just agree uh, with us? <laughs> you know, for, for, for best performance, you know, I kind of swerved. Not really. Okay. Uh, Rucker Howard. Uh, definitely is Roy Batty. 
Um, you know, when, when I was talking about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, that his character is where I feel that the most. He's equal part sinister and sympathetic. Uh, you know, he just he's this force very much like Victor Frankenstein's monster was. And he's very similarly, he's dealing with the fallout of his own intellectual and emotional growth, much like the monster did in the book. Um, You know, so you get that, but then you also get that part that feels very almost T 1000. That's just this out to get you, you know, force you know this evil force so so i think that's really the nuance of that character and i think rucker howard definitely brings that yeah <laughs> we yes. said you were gonna swerve <laughs> <laughs> i was me- mentally preparing to unleash on you um <laughs> scorn and hate were coming your way uh, our next award, as always, is best scene, and I get the privilege of maybe saying the right answer this time. Dwayne got to go first and say the right answer last time. It's my turn. So from the moment Harrison Ford walks in and sees all the creepy uh, friends of Sebastian, to, to the to to the when he when he and Rachel get in the elevator, all of that, just the entire third <laughs> act of, of the movie, all of it. <laughs> I mean, it's this is probably too big a statement to say. I, I can't remember a better third act of any movie than, than Blade Runner has. I mean, there's not a second that's not tense. Um, and everything is perfect. Like Harrison Ford, I mean, most movies like this, the hero would have put a, a lot more of a fight. Harrison Ford is just mm-hmm. running. And not even yeah. very effectively. Like the climbing is not very good. I mean, he's <laughs> struggling. Uh, and just all of it. And the, the, just the emotional. So not just the action is tense. The, the emotional stuff is tense. And the the death scene with Roy, I mean, just just all of it, man. And when when and when Harrison Ford finds the unicorn on the ground, man, it's just all of that. But I know I'm thinking like 45 (laughs) minutes. All of it. That's the best scene. Well, you you know, I I agree with you, Jamie. But but just to kind of bring it down to to a smaller portion of the movie. you know, I think that the hunt scene, you know, the scene as as Roy is hunting Deckard, like you said, it is super tense uh, and it just keeps building. You know, he has his Jack Nicholson. Here's Johnny moment when jamming his head through the wall. You know, you, you get all of that in there and, and the howling, you know almost creates that that monstrous feel like like Decker's being stalked by a creature you know so I mean there's all these different like I said that that those nuances from Rutger Hauer's performance definitely make that scene what it is and and to me that's I agree with you that that section is amazing um but yeah that hunt scene definitely stands out yeah well, you're not wrong, and I, uh, Jamie, I think we have had another movie where we've all picked the last act <laughs> as the best scene. I think it was A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I, I think we've all picked that last third act as, you know, just how perfect can it be? But anyway, um, you know, that that's kind of, I have two uh, scenes here, and um, they both are in closed in what you have referenced and what Sam has referenced, you know, um, but I'm going to stick to one part and, and I'm going to go down to one part of it. But when Roy saves Decker at the end, 
know, when he sacrifices himself to save Decker at the end, that, you know, his body's failing. He knows he's at his end. And, you know, that's such a growth from where you see these replicants at the beginning with Leon. You know, he's, he's asking uh, Decker, how long do I live? How long do I live? I was born this day. How long do I live? And he tells him, and Decker tells him, and he says, longer than you. You know, Leon responds, longer than you. you know, and here we see Roy, you know, as as his journey has has brought him here, he he saves Decker. That's that's that really that really hit me. Uh, I've got I, I've got theories about that scene that we can't talk about because I've listened to I've listened to Ridley Scott talk about it. Ridley Scott talk about it. All right. Uh, yeah. I mean, just to highlight the, the moment, that, that moment where he puts the nail in his hand, man. Just, mm. And when he breaks Deckard's fingers, oh, it's just, oh. That's, that, that scene, man. Like, Sammy's right there narrowed down, like from, from the, the hunt to the rooftop, man. That probably is, I, I was being too broad, but, <laughs> but <laughs> absolute <laughs> best. All right, uh, next one is best character. And I think there are a lot of options here. Uh, Sammy, you get to go first. What do you got, man? Yeah, you know, I actually, I've got two on this, and I've been waffling back and forth on how to, you know, what to go with. Um, what, you want to pass? If you want to, uh, no, I think I'm going to go, I think, best character with uh, with Rachel. I think Sean Young's Rachel is such a good character, and it's, it's just that situation of, you feel for her. You want to protect her. You want to, you know, make sure nothing bad ever happens. So you get why Decker does what he does. You you understand why he he falls in love with her. You know, the big bad replicant hunter, you know, falls in love with a replicant essentially, unless he's a replicant also, but we don't know. Uh, but so, but we get why. We under, I think you understand why, because of the way her character is and what Sean Young brings to that character. So I think I'm going to go with that one as my best character. Well, I'm going to jump in, let Dwayne go last, because I agree with you. I had Rachel down. Um, mm-hmm. uh, she's just so vulnerable. And, mm-hmm. and when she learns of her true nature, and has to deal with the ramifications of that. And we really see her struggling. And I think this is probably Sean Young's best performance, too. Um, but... I just I, I love the the character arc she goes on, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> one uncomfortable scene aside, uh, and I just I love what she's going through, and I just I think it's portrayed so well, and you can see what it does to the people that are around her. Um, I just I, I think she's a great character. All right, yep. Well, I'm going to give a different answer than Rachel uh, instead of going three for three on this character, just like we're on the performance. <laughs> Uh, but a character in this m- movie, he's always intrigued me. Um, Rachel, she just is what she is. Her, you know, battle is so much of the story. Uh, 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 it's great, but it just is what it is to me. Uh, but a very interesting character. I'd like to learn a little bit more about. He wasn't even in the book. I think he's a melding of a couple different things from the book. Is uh, J.F. Sebastian, played by William uh, Sanderson. I'm the genetic engineer Darryl. who has yeah, all Darryl. the little toys. <laughs> yeah, he has all the little toys there. Uh, he's he has genetic defaults himself, but he has you know this mind, and he's able to 
you know, assist Terrell in building these, you know, monumental creations of, uh, you know, biological engineering. Uh, but yeah, I, I loved his character. I loved the portrayal, the interactions there. He was just kind of, you could tell he was just so broken, lonely, not quite all together, you know, upstairs, but he, he was a really, a really intriguing character to me. I love that portrayal. Yeah, I think, you know, as, as far as, as his character, you know, he's almost very childlike in some ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the reason that he can do what he does is because he sees the simplicity in these, you know, the, the toys, so to speak, that he creates his friends and then, but also being able to take that to the replicants and be able to almost distill the thoughts down to a very simple concept for him uh you know and i think that that comes across in, in that performance yeah and i love the remote chess game that he's playing you know and i think uh what little bit of research i did for this i think his character is kind of a twist on a, uh, a mentally damaged character in the book who takes the replicants in to try to help him out you know so i think that's where okay. he's playing a little bit of this of the slower side there yeah, I, I, just, I think, too, that he, one of the things that – I think he's the right word. He's intriguing. Um, if you think about, like, he's got what they call it, Methuselah syndrome. Methuselah syndrome is what they call yeah, it. He's, he, yeah, he's, he's aging incredibly rapidly. But there's this child, like Sammy said, there's a child like nice about him. He's and only 25, I wonder, like, yeah. Yeah, but that, that, that's made him stand out his whole life. So he's been different from everybody around him. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's why he identifies with the replicants so fast. Mm -hmm. Um and just is immediately on board with them because they're they're different too. I just I mean it's just it's intriguing. And you know? he's fascinated, you know. So he's genetically damaged. They're genetically perfect, and he's just so fascinated and intrigued by them. Yeah. Well, plus, and the, and they both have a limited lifespan, a shorter lifespan because yeah. of his syndrome and their what is it four years? Well, yeah. is, is yeah, essentially the, the lifespan for them. So. <laughs> So here we go. All right. Uh, our next award is best quote. And uh, Dwayne, uh, apparently if you watch different cuts, you might have different dialogue. So let's see if we have the same ones on this one. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure we, I, I, and I really hope we all have something different because there's so many great lines in this, in this movie. There's so many things that make you think, and you know, you, you can go through something, just a simple little quip. Or you can go through something kind of, kind of cheesy, you know, just, just cute. But I love when Roy meets Terrell and he's, and Roy says to him, it's not an easy thing to meet one's maker. That's, and the performance there is perfect. Yeah. I mean, yes. that's so much, you know, he's so <sighs> humble. He's so humble to be there in his presence, but he's also so menacing because he's after something. He's on this mission. He is, you know, playing that duality so well. He's got yeah. kind of like a like a reverent hatred going on yeah. in that in his face, his posture, everything is great. And depending on which cut, his last words to Terrell are different. So, really? Yeah. 
in the final cut, he calls him father. In another cut, he ca- calls him another F word. <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I have the, I have yeah. the cut with the other F word. Yeah. Wow. See, in the, in, the, in the director's cut, in I believe is what it is. Father, which would yeah. be a whole lot more weighty and much more character growth on his part instead of just calling him a derogatory F word, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as maintaining that hatred and, and yeah. irreverence for him. You know. But in the final hmm. cut, he refers to him as father right at the end there. So, yeah. wow. Yep. It, and it has, I, I agree with Jordan, it's a totally different context by changing that one word. Yeah, so. his, whole, his whole character begins to change at that point, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got another Roy Batty line, and it's the obvious one. Um, I didn't even write down another one. <laughs> I, I was going to agree. If I didn't get to go first and somebody else took it, I was just going to agree. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's Roy on the roof. And he says, yeah. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I've watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears and rain. Time to die. And it's just, it's the delivery again, too. The words are great, but it's also the delivery. It's just, yeah. and it's so amazing that Rutger Howard did that. I mean, most most actors are empty-headed people that can read lines, um, and but Rutger Howard wrote that himself. You know, it just makes it even better. Well, you know, and I think especially within this society and the way this society is structured in terms of the story, it makes that all more important because it goes back to what Dwayne said about what is life. You know, what is truly living. This replicant Roy Batty understands. All the things I've seen are now going to leave. No one will ever see them again, like tears <laughs> and rain. Yeah. And yeah, it's emotionally I, powerful. Yeah, I was more, I probably more dismissive than I meant to be there. So, <laughs> <laughs> but how many of them, I mean, honestly, how many people, like in any walk of life, are capable of that kind of poetry? I yeah, mean, exactly. just on the fly, like Rutger Howard did there. It's just, it's really impressive. All right, yep. Sammy? That was the strange thing you did. So here's what I did. (laughs) I've got the Roy Batty quote that you gave because I really liked it. And like I said, it was extremely powerful. But I found another quote that was not included (laughs) in the final cut that I really liked also. And I want to use it because not that it was in the cut I watched, but because I want to give. Deckard just just a little bit of highlight because we've not really highlighted Harrison Ford's Deckard a lot in this. Hold it's on one the narration. second. Yes, your you okay, your I'm, cut had it. I'm, I believe I'm, your cut I'm, had this. I'm I'm normally the one who's fast and loose with the rules, but can we even <laughs> include a quote from a movie we haven't watched? <laughs> <laughs> it's from no. the same movie, just not Go the ahead. same cut. Ridley Scott <laughs> would not approve. I would say not. This may have been in the cut you watched, Dwayne. Okay. And this was a narration and it was towards the end. And Deckard says, I don't know why he saved my life. Maybe in those last moments, he loved life more than he ever had before. Not just life, anybody's life, my life. All he wanted were the same answers the rest of us want. Where do I come from? Where am I going? How long have I got? All I can do was sit there and watch him die. And it just, like I said, it wasn't in my, my cut, but I just think 
that is such an interesting narration that was in one of the numerous cuts. So <laughs> the problem with that though is like it's the opposite of the Rutger Hauer effect. Harrison Ford so did not want to be doing that narration that it's the most lifeless thing ever. It is a good <laughs> quote, man, but Harrison Ford wanted no part of that. Well, like I said, I didn't hear him deliver it. I just like the line. <laughs> no, all I could do was just sit there and watch him die. All I could do. Sorry, kid. <laughs> I saw an interview that he did where he said that he, he agreed with Ridley Scott that they shouldn't do the voiceover. So he right. on purpose made it as bad as he possibly could so they wouldn't be able to use it. And they used it anyway. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, our first of our episode-specific awards is Best Contribution to Sci-Fi. And I get to go first. And I, I don't have anything super uh, deep or thoughtful here. Um, but, th- but Blade Runner brought cyberpunk into the mainstream. Um, it didn't invent cyberpunk, but um, it brought it to the view of more people than it had been. Uh, it had been sort of in, in the books of like, you know, books. It was a literary uh, genre. Um, but Blade Runner was a little bit of a flop when it came out, but it made it, but people saw Blade Runner. And then it became a video store, Golden Child. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, then, and then TBS got the rights and everybody saw Blade Runner. Um, yeah, um, but, but so it, it so it didn't invent it, but it made it cool. I mean, Blade Runner makes cyberpunk cool. Um, I don't want to live in that LA, but man, I love watching things happen in that LA. Uh, <laughs> and and you think about all the movies that don't happen without this. I mean, and, and for me especially, I, I can't imagine a universe where the Matrix exists and uh, where there wasn't a Blade Runner. Um. And The Matrix is probably right under Big Trouble in Little China. It's my favorite movies of all time. And so I'm just, I'm grateful to Blade Runner for making a world where The Matrix can happen. Yeah. You know, I think when you were talking about um, literary kind of influencing the movie and, and then in turn from there, you know, that that's kind of where I went with my award also. You know, I think when you look at the the medium or the the concept of, of science fiction and the concept of of life and the robot versus the replicant versus the you know, and I think you can trace that all the way back to you know the short story leading into do androids dream of electric sheep with the replicants, and to me, for me, this all kind of of uh, culminates in Lieutenant Commander Data from Star Trek The Next Generation. You would not have data. You would not have the data we know and we love without the Nexus 6 and without Philip K. Dick's writing, because to me that probably were things, you know, that that the writers of Star Trek, whether it be some, maybe not Roddenberry as much, but, you know, in turn after season one, uh, when they really started developing data's character in tng so but yeah I, I think to me that's the best contribution is without this we don't get data and Data's one of my favorite star trek characters so <laughs> yeah and, and data wrestles with some of the things that rachel and roy mm-hmm. are wrestling exactly with. what yeah. is it to be human he tries to learn how to be humorous and have comedy and you know all those things yeah. and and like i said that leads right into star trek picard and you have the same kind of 
concept of seeking out what is life. So, yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'm I'm very much along the same lines uh, that that Sam is. In my favorite contribution is you know that this puts out what it means to be. Really, really, what it means to be anything, what it means to be human, what it means to be a robot, what it means to exist. Uh, but I guess in saying that, I know I've said that quite a few times this episode. But this movie makes science fiction cerebral again, you know, because because there for a while you just had, you know, I don't know, Planet of the Apes, you know, oh, you're, you. yeah, you're just coming <laughs> off of Star, you know, you're, you're coming off of Star Wars, which is very, you know, fantastical. Uh, you know, you had, uh, you know, a few things early on, but I think that science fiction kind of got kind of goofy with, with Logan's run and a few of the other things that were just, just before this. But yeah, this really makes it okay to, to think about these deep things again in a, in a meaningful way on the screen. And that's, that's my favorite contribution. Yeah. And, and, and I like that because think about it. I mean, when you look at that and you look at say 2001, the Space Odyssey. That's a very cerebral movie. I watch it today and still can't tell you really half what's going on in terms of concept, you know. But then you do, you get that, and, and nothing against Star Wars. I love Star Wars, but it becomes space fantasy instead yeah. of science fiction. And you're right, this kind of brings it back, you know. And then we get, then they take Blade Runner and go in a completely different direction. <laughs> so. But you're right to bring up 2001 because that interview yeah. with Ridley Scott, that was the primary influence he talked about. Okay. Yeah. Very, yeah, very cerebral. Yeah. Definitely very much that. so. All right, so our last award is um, one where I think we're, you know, kind of hoping to lean into the funny here. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the best, I'm glad that wasn't real in 2019 because that's when this movie was originally set. <laughs> So, so, so it's not the things we wish were real, because I would love a flying car. It's the things that we're glad aren't real. So, Sammy, you get to go first. All right. Um, I did kind of go funny on this, because if if we lived in the world of Blade Runner, I couldn't afford a pet. There's no way I can afford these genetically created clone animals. And I like my pets. My two furry friends, Tiger and Rosie, I, I, I need them. You know, so... I couldn't afford that. So. <laughs> well, they apparently, and um, they filmed scenes where they talk about that. Apparently, all animal life is extinct. Yes. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, and that, that, it's not in the final cut, I don't think, but like there's right. lines where it talks about that. And that was kind of one thing they didn't pull from the book that was a big part of the novel. So, I, the thing I'm glad isn't real is that weather. <laughs> I mean,. <laughs> Was there a second that, that everyone was miserable outside? I mean, I don't think it was ever a, a millisecond. There wasn't a raindrop hitting Harrison Ford's head. I mean, <laughs> just, that looks like an unbearable place to live. And, I mean, I'm not sure which were the daylight scenes which were the nighttime scenes. You could never see the sun. I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing they were, they were you know, saying it was going to be that much pollution by the end. Um, right. But, man, it just looked like it was an impressive atmosphere. Just unbearable yeah i'm glad that's not real <laughs> well, you know almost makes you think about mega city one in uh, yeah. just dread you know 
Well, that reminds me, I was going to mention, you mentioned Tyrell's building before. Mm -hmm. That was not a model. Uh, Ridley Scott talks about that. They had a painter, they had a painter come in and they. Ooh, matte painting. Well, they took, what they did is had a photographer go take like big landscape pictures of all of like Los Angeles and look for different things in the skyline. And they brought a painter in. And he took like a, ph- a photograph of a building he could use, and he painted the rest of the Tyrell building on, oh, wow. onto the photograph. So well, his awesome. his his painting was so realistic and so wow. seamless. It's a painting on top of a photograph. That is amazing. I, cool. I thought it was a model. Hands down, thought it was a model. Yeah, so. I, I would have too. I would have too. Um, the thing I'm glad um, was not real in 2019, which we're not through 2020, and we're not sure what's going to be real or not by the end of this year. Um, okay, Mad Max it, next year, right? I was going to say right? Mad Max is next Mad Max year. Max next year. <laughs> um, but yeah, the um, it's not expressly uh, stated in the movie, uh, but it is in the book. Uh, and but you see a lot of the destruction and devastation, the weather, the no sun, uh, all of the genetic defects, and uh, the extinction with animal life. Apparently, there was a nuclear war in the nineties. And this is dealing with the fallout from that, where everything is. So I'm glad we're not dealing with the fallout from a nuclear war. You are correct, sir. I second that motion. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> but you know, one thing that is real, one thing that is so real, even though we questioned it in the Matrix, he had to find that reality and what the true reality was is our Keanu Reeves. If Keanu Reeves was a Blade Runner, he could come and kill me anytime. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie, where does Keanu connect to this Chinatown of genetically engineered eyeballs and snakes? Uh, Well, you know, uh, he would make a pretty good Blade Runner. We've all seen John Wick, right? I mean, he could... Yeah, anyway... Uh, so there are a couple of legends of film who work on this flick. Uh, think of all the Ridley Scott movies we all love. Uh, Alien, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, uh, lot, uh, The Martian. There's lots of Ridley Scott movies we all love. He's not the Keanu connection. Um, strangely, he's never with Keanu. Um, then there's the star of the movie, Harrison Ford. Think of the iconic roles he's had. Han Solo, Indiana Jones, Jack Ryan. Whatever he was, the Cowboys and Aliens. Um, <laughs> it's also not Harrison Ford. But there is another legend behind this movie who is sadly less well-known. And I fear in the process of being totally forgotten. Um, this writer had so many of his works turned into movies and TV shows. Uh, the Man in the High Castle. Minority Report. Total Recall. The Adjustment Bureau. Paycheck's kind of fun. It's not a good movie. It's kind of fun. Uh, but Philip K. Dick wrote, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? That's what this movie was based on. Mm-hmm. Adapted from? Adaptation. There's a lot of adapting. Uh, he also wrote A Scanner Darkly. Ah, okay. Which was the basis for the 2006 movie which starred our beloved Keanu. And that is our Keanu connection. <gasps> Great connection. Great connection. Definitely. Yes. Uh, phenomenal movie. Great cast. Uh, oh, yeah. Funky, funky animation, what they filmed it and then animated over them. 
that yeah, really, really cool, really, really cool. So a scanner darkly, yes, that's that's a great one. I had forgotten about that. Yeah, but how many people really know who Philip K. Dick is anymore? That's I mean, true. It, I mean, it's sad because I mean he, I mean he's a legend. I mean he should be. Yeah. I mean, and like you said, so much of his work has been adapted, especially recently. Yeah. You know, um, with like you said, Man in the High Castle and, you know, those types of things. Well, there's a new one. I can't remember which one it is now, but there's another PKD show getting ready to come out. I think it's on Hulu, I think. Yeah, there's yeah, there's one on Amazon, there's a new if I'm one. not mistaken. And then there's one getting ready to come out on Hulu, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just okay. a genius. Great, great. Uh, Dwayne, uh, our next pick is yours. All righty. Yes, so next week, we're going to be traveling to the wonderful animated world of Disney. Uh, We have a very, very special guest coming along. Um, My youngest son, Lucas, has requested re-review The Fox and the Hound, the Disney classic. It is available on Disney Plus. um, It's a classic of animation. So please uh, check that out and join us next week. Well, I've got a little uh, preview of my own here. I've never seen this movie. Okay. Uh, my parents made decisions when I was a child. I grew up on the Terminator and Predator and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't watch very many Disney movies. So I'm very much looking forward to watching The Fox and the Hound. Well, I'm, I'm excited for you to watch The Fox and the Hound. And, you know, growing up with the Predator and Terminator, you know, there is hunting in this movie also. <laughs> I'm a hound dog. <laughs> so, Jamie, as we are uh, preparing to, you know, befriend a fox and a hound dog, what are we going to do till our next episode? We're going to dodge the Voight-Kampf test as we keep it dirty. <laughs>